0: Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the things that each of us considers in our hearts be pleasing to you. We know this is only possible through your Holy Spirit. So Spirit, you've been with us. We ask that you would continue to be with us, but abide with us now through your teaching ministry to shape your word so that it lands in each of our hearts, so that it changes us fills us with joy, especially at this season, and allows us to be your servants in more and more powerful ways. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Sorry to disappoint those of you who are looking forward to a sermon on Isaiah. That's what's in your bulletin. I shifted that focus midweek, so if anybody's keeping score, that's another, you know, oh, he didn't do that one. We're going to start, though, by talking about weakness. And I want to share a story from uh, the world of college athletics. If you win 13 national championships for your sport in college athletics, that's a big deal, right? Like, if you're a University of Alabama football fan right now, first of all, we should talk. I don't know if we can get along except through Jesus Christ, so let's just make sure we do that. But Alabama's kind of rolling in that direction. There's a coach at my alma mater, the University of Texas, who has won 13 national championships in his tenure there. His name's Eddie Reese. He's the head swimming coach. So the University of Texas has won 13 national championships in swimming during the time that he's there. So Coach Reese is a legend, he's well-established, people know him. And about 10 years ago, the University of Texas men's basketball program got a new coach named Rick Barnes. Barnes is now at the other UT, the University of Tennessee. And the story goes is that when Barnes arrived on campus, he had his first recruiting class, his first year bringing these guys into the basketball program, and they were good. But they weren't blowing the doors off. They weren't competing at the highest level. And so Coach Reese, the guy that has won 13 national championships, that knows what he's talking about when he's talking about college athletics, comes to Coach Barnes's office. Comes in, the senior member of the coaching staff, comes in to speak to this new guy, this kind of junior member, and he just says, hey, Coach, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm for you, but I want to tell you something that's a weakness that I see in your players. And Coach Barnes kind of says, okay, well... What's he about to say to me? And he says, your players are slow. Like, they're really slow. I don't know how you're training them, but they're not doing it as quickly as they could. Now, think about this. You've arrived in your career, right? If you're Coach Barnes, you've gotten recruited to play or to coach at one of the highest levels in sports. You probably know a little bit about how to make your guys play quickly, right? Well, according to Coach Reese, in his 13 national championships, he could be doing better. So there's a moment, right, where you're the coach, you're Coach Reese, or you're Coach Barnes, and you're saying, who is this guy? What's he? He's coming in here telling me how to run my program, right? Some of us might react that way. But he's pointing out a weakness. And what I want to say about this moment is, that is so great is, Coach Barnes received that and said, OK, Coach, tell me what I should be doing. Tell me how I can make my players better. And so over the next year, Coach Reese and Coach Barnes worked together to completely redevelop the way the basketball program trained their athletes. New drills, new off-season workouts, new commitments in the weight room—all those kind of things—and it worked. The Texas Longhorns made it to the men's final four. The next year after that, it was a big deal. And the reason I mention all of this is because this is illustrating one of the key points from our text today, from our teaching time today, and that's this: weakness is an opportunity to receive. It's an opportunity to receive. There's a guy who uh, teaches at Whitworth University named Jim Edwards. He's actually retired now. He taught New Testament there for a long time. And he has a great quote about this that I want to share with us that really helps illustrate this in full. God uses human weakness to create receptivity, and receptivity is the prerequisite to acknowledging Christ's lordship. I'll share that again because it's so good, and we'll come back to it throughout the morning. God uses human weakness... To create receptivity. And receptivity is the prerequisite to acknowledging Christ's lordship. Did the basketball coach have to receive what the swimming coach was saying to him? No. He could tell him all kinds of colorful things that he could go do with his advice, right? But instead, he saw this weakness, this opportunity where the players weren't performing at the highest level to say, you know what, maybe I could learn something new. Maybe there's a part of my coaching, maybe there's a part of my leadership that isn't where it should be. And I wonder if I would react that way. I wonder if any of us would. I wonder if this example of humility that we have from Rick Barnes, the basketball coach, would land that way in our lives. I wonder. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, demonstrates for us a receptivity within her weakness that I think we really need to pay attention to this morning. Receptivity simply means, are you willing to learn something new or not? Are you willing to let something new land in your life and change you or change the way that you think about faith, about God, about any of these things in front of us? And so our thesis for this morning goes like this. In Jesus Christ, weakness becomes receptivity. Weakness, weak places become places of receptivity where we can accept his grace in new ways. And the Holy Spirit, who we're going to talk a lot about today, does this by helping us, knowing us, and interceding for us. And those are the three points kind of outlined in your bulletin. Helping us knowing us, interceding for us. So let's see if we believe this, Siders, because we really don't like weaknesses, do we? This is not our favorite subject to talk about. If you work in particular industries, if you talk about your weaknesses, if you go ask one of your colleagues for your help, you may not last long in that industry because of the competitiveness, because of the focus on getting results. And I understand that, but I think the church's calling is to be different in the midst of that, and to call people toward compassion and grace. And I think the text illustrates that for us today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Romans passage, Romans chapter 8. Like we're doing throughout this sermon series leading up to Christmas, we're looking at a passage from Romans 8, one of the great, great chapters in all of Scripture, and then we're looking at one of the Christmas stories, one of the traditional Christmas readings that you hear a lot at this time of year. And we're just trying to see, like, how do these two things speak to one another? So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Garrett just read it for us, but I'd like to read it for us again. This is verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. The word weakness in this text means suffering, affliction, distress, calamity, all the stuff that we'd love to sign up for. But it's so interesting how the Bible uses that word in different places. The Bible uses that same word for weakness to describe a key aspect of Jesus's ministry, healing people. When it talks about infirmities, things that were tripping people up, it's talking about that same word, weakness. In Matthew's gospel, Isaiah is quoted as describing the Messiah this way, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's the word weakness. So, isn't it interesting that a term that could be pejorative, a term that could be used to describe something we don't want, when put in the context of Jesus Christ, is something that he very much came to do and came to do like nobody else in the world has ever done or ever will do? I think that should give us pause. I think it should give us a chance to go, what do I think about when I think about my weaknesses? What have I been confronted with? Have you had someone further along in life come to you, like the two coaches in my opening story, and share something with you that was hard to hear? How did you receive it? A lot of people feel a great deal of weakness at the Christmas season. The weakness often comes when we look at what we think our Christmas should be like and what our Christmas is actually becoming. We feel weak because that gap seems like something we can't bridge, whether it's about stuff, whether it's about hospitality. If only we had more room for more people at our table, if only we could afford a home, all these other things. But that, that attitude kind of fails us when we start to think about weaknesses as places of receptivity, where we can experience God's grace in new ways. And i got to tell you, when I'm confronted with one of my weaknesses, I don't typically look at it as a place where I can learn something. I don't know about you, but I, I don't look at it like, oh, cool, I get to learn about God's grace in a new way. That's not how it usually breaks down for me. Usually, my weaknesses are my places of greatest fidgeting and insecurity. Case in point, I was trying to put together a bed frame years ago. I am not very technical, by the way. Like, do not give me things to fix. It's not going to go well. And I'm putting together a bed frame in this little house I was renting. This is before Jill and I got married. She came over. We were hanging out and I had this bed frame I was putting together. Now, how simple is a bed frame (laughs) to put together? It's a box. Like, I even bought it at Costco, which means it must have been the simplest object in the history of man, right? Like, they designed those things so baboons can put them together. I'm sitting there trying to put this together, and I get so frustrated by the screws and the notches and moving this around, this is really embarrassing, I got so mad that I took my fist and I punched the floor like just punched right into the carpet. I can still picture the carpet. It was like this ugly kind of taupey carpet. And I hurt my wrist. And Jill was sitting right there watching me in my weakness. And somehow she still said yes to marrying me. How receptive do you think I was in that moment? Was that a moment of receptivity for me? No, it was a moment of frustration and anger. It's a human moment. And that's where I want to connect it back to the text. We need the Holy Spirit to open us up and to help us be receptive to God's grace, because we're not going to do it by ourselves. We're going to punch the carpet by ourselves, at least if you're a guy. That's probably what you're going to do. This is where we can connect to Mary's story, because Mary's story is such a human story. It's such a story we can relate to. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I want to I listen to this dialogue again between Mary and the angel Gabriel, because I want to see if we can identify a place of weakness in this. I'll start in verse 28 of Luke chapter 1. And he, the angel Gabriel, came to Mary and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Now where's the weakness in that dialogue? Where do we see that coming into play? Because if this section is about the Holy Spirit helping Mary, we have to identify where the help needed to happen. You could argue, if you back the lens up a little bit, that culturally Mary was in a really weak position in society at that time. Here's what I mean. She wasn't married yet, so she had only the backing of her family. She didn't have the backing of her husband's family yet. And at that culture, that would have brought a lot of strength to her. She was from Nazareth, which is kind of this backwater town. It would not have been you know, a place that you would have bragged about being from. Some scholars believe that Mary was pretty young at this time, possibly as young as 15 or 16, so she didn't have any stature in the community. She wasn't considered a wise person. She was still very young. And I think the key point is in verse 29 when the text says she was much perplexed by Gabriel's words. She didn't get it. She didn't understand what was happening to her. Now, let me be clear. These are all really shaky claims at Mary's weakness, that if you want to try to create a case for Mary being a weak person and you don't read the rest of the text, sure, go right ahead. But if you read the whole story, you see that she is not a weak person. How many of us would know what to do if an angel dropped into our living room and said, this is going to happen? Not, I, I, I don't think any of us would. If you've had an angel drop into your living room and tell you that, please come talk to me. This story illustrates that Mary... In her weakness, in her bewilderment, which I think all of us could relate to in a miraculous event, she is still receptive. She is still making room in her heart for the grace of God to be revealed to her in a new way. And that's why I think this story is so delightful, is because Mary's a human being. She shows up in this story in a way that isn't impervious. She shows up in a way that shows that she's receptive. Now, I wonder... If when we think about our weaknesses as individuals, that we would be willing, would we be as willing to be as gracious to ourselves as I just was to Mary? In talking about Mary's weaknesses and kind of building her up as this character who's able to receive from God, are we that way to ourselves? Do we treat ourselves with grace when we're confronted with one of our weaknesses? When I punched the carpet in front of my fiancé, now my wife, I wasn't very gracious to myself. I was embarrassed, I was ashamed, I was pretty quick to kind of write off that action as like, oh man, I hope I never do that again. In a way, I was kind of looking down my nose at myself, and our weaknesses do that to us. This is especially pernicious here on the East Side. We have such a culture that prizes knowledge and subject matter experts and knowledge workers and all that. It is just insidious how easy it is to look down our noses at people who don't have the same caliber of job as us, or the same caliber of expertise. Why do we get really defensive when we don't know something? Why do we get really defensive when the bed frame won't come together? because it's touching a deep place of weakness in our hearts. And so the real practical application from this this morning, you guys, and this is as much to my heart as anybody else's heart, you want the Spirit to help you in your weakness? Start being kind to yourself. Start being gracious to yourself, and then you'll be able to extend that to others. Don't beat yourself up when you can't get it right. Don't punch the floor. Find a way to look at that with the response of, Lord, I just need your help. I just need your help in this moment, and I want to be receptive to it. The Spirit's help is being promised to us in this passage. And I think, in a way, Mary receives that promise and demonstrates that for us. So that's how the Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit guides us through our weaknesses, helps us be more receptive to the grace of God. Our weaknesses can become the key entry points for the grace of Jesus. But now let's talk about how the spirit actually gets down into the dirt of our lives and really shapes this for us. And that's where we need to talk about the spirit knowing us. Knowing being known is kind of the flip side of your weakness because the people who know you best know all about your weakness. If you're sitting there going, like, this guy's talking about weaknesses, and like, "I, I think I'm good. I don't know that I have much, ask your spouse. Or ask someone that's one of your roommates. Or ask a friend that's known you a really long time. Someone in your life will be able to tell you about your weaknesses. Because you've been known. Being known is one of the keys to having our weaknesses sort of brought up into the light in a gracious way. How are we known by God? The Romans passage tells us that the Holy Spirit searches the heart. That's a great phrase, it searches the heart. What does that mean? The verb used in that phrase literally means to examine or to investigate, to kind of comb through and find the good stuff. And so before we get too abstract into that, I wanna talk about a common experience for anybody that's been to the airport recently. How does it feel to be searched when you go through security? Nobody loves that, right? It's always awkward. It's always difficult. I feel like when you walk up to the security gate at uh, SeaTac, they should have a big sign up that says, this is about to get awkward. Like, every one of us since 9-11 has probably been patted down. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands about getting patted down outside of the airport. That's a whole other conversation. It never feels good to be searched physically, because it feels invasive. It feels like, I don't, I don't know you. This is weird, stranger danger. We could go on and on. But to actually be physically searched is tough. But the text is talking about the searching of the heart. And I want to ask us, what does that feel like? What does that even mean? I think having our hearts searched means we have a conversation with someone where we, it's just there. We lay something out that is very painful to us, that's very difficult. We have someone asking us questions that really forces us to look at what we believe. Unless you're a professional counselor, most of us don't walk into these conversations very often. We don't have our hearts searched very often, and it feels uncomfortable if we've never had it happen before. And the point I want to make is that it's all about the person doing the searching. Unless you know the TSA officer that's given you a pat down at the airport, it's always going to be awkward to have someone physically search you. But to have someone search your heart doesn't have to be awkward, because if it's someone who loves you, someone who is for you, someone who is with you, you can be safe. There are a very small number of people in my life that have permission to search my heart, but I need them desperately. My wife is at the top of that list. She's seen me punch the carpet. She's seen some pretty deep stuff in my heart, and she continually pushes me to find ways to keep growing, find ways to seek Jesus' transformation for myself, for our, our relationship, our children. I have a group of guys that I went to seminary with, and we keep in touch, and we meet up once a year and do kind of a pastor's retreat. Those guys have searched my heart, and I have searched their hearts, and there's really nothing that's off the table with each other. We've known each other a long time. We've been through a lot together, and I don't have to hide from those guys. I don't have to try to cover up any veneer. The very best counselors that I've spent time with in my journey have always been the people who graciously are invited in to search the heart. How about you? Who searches your heart? Who has permission to get in there and root around? The hard thing about having your heart searched is it's going to turn up the stuff that's at the foundation. And sometimes that's not very pleasant. Sometimes it's not very pretty. In Mary's story, the foundation of her heart is turned up, and it is beyond pleasant. It is powerful. Turn with me to Luke 1, chapter 38. This is one of the greatest answers in all of Scripture. I love this. This is at the end of Mary's conversation with Gabriel. He has just told her, nothing will be impossible with God. What a great word to hear. And then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Here am I. Can you say that with me? Here am I. I'm here. I'm available. That, I think, is the foundation of Mary's heart. She's in. She wants to show up for this amazing thing that God is going to do. And she says, here am I. She had to go to seminary before she could say that, right? She had to do an advanced degree in counseling, right? She had to pray on a mountaintop for six months, right? No. She just had to be receptive. She just had to look at that moment through the power of the Holy Spirit, helping her and knowing her, saying, I do want to receive what's happening to me in this moment. If you've got something coming up this week that you know you're counting on being stressful, what if that's the thing you hold out to God and you say, well, what if I could just receive from you, God? What if I could just take this moment, take this conversation with my doctor, take this moment with a colleague, whatever it is, and make it a place where your grace just breaks through. God, could you do that through the power of your Holy Spirit, and could I be receptive to that? That's a prayer any of us could pray. And when our hearts get searched, are we receptive to it? Are we able to say, like, okay, I I wasn't planning on this conversation, but here we go, and I want to learn from it. I want the foundations of my heart to be more like what God wants. That's not easy to do. That's costly. But maybe that's one of the things that each of us gets to step into in the week ahead. Because the Holy Spirit knows us, and the Holy Spirit is able to search us in the deepest possible way. So, what do we learned so far? The Holy Spirit helps us and knows us. Our weaknesses are being transformed into places of receptivity for the gospel. Now we got to talk about how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, or speaks for us. Webster's defines the verb intercede as to intervene between parties with a view to reconciling differences. That's magic. (laughs) Intervene between parties with a view to reconciling differences. The word intercede comes up twice in our passage from Romans. In verse 26, the Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the gap. Remember earlier when I talked about how we struggle when there's a gap between our reality? I wanted my Christmas to be this way, and instead it's starting to look this way. This is where God gets in the middle of our gap and says, no, 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 no. I have this thing for you and it's better. I have this moment of grace that's waiting for you. I have this opportunity for your heart to be searched by someone who loves you. It's better than what you planned. That intercession is happening in the text. It's happening to Mary. Mary had a plan. Mary had a trajectory that she was thinking about in her life, whatever it was. And God breaks in through the angel Gabriel and says, actually, my plan for you is over here. And I guarantee you, there wasn't a single rabbi, there wasn't a single leader in the Jewish community thinking about Messiah coming into the world through a virgin, through a young girl, through this humble circumstance, or through the means of just being born. They thought Messiah was going to come riding on a horse, conquering with an army of angels, and instead Messiah comes as the most helpless form of all humanity, a baby can't take care of himself. Nobody was looking for that. And so the gap needed to be bridged between what people were expecting and hoping for and what God was up to. What God was counting on happening in the world. And like we've seen, when we turn over Mary's heart, what do we see? I'm here. I'm ready. This might be a moment of weakness. This might be something that I don't have any control over, but I want to receive it, God. I want to receive your grace in this moment. That's what she's saying through her actions. Is there a part of your story that needs to change right now? Is there a gap between what you've been hoping for and what is coming together in your life, whether it's for yourself, for a family member, for your career? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who have said, I thought I'd be further along in my career at this point, or I thought we'd have this, or I thought we've had that, and I totally get that, I really do. But I thought I was going to be a lawyer until I was 23, and God had other plans, And the challenge for all of us is, God may not send us an angel, but I I believe there's a bunch of us in this room who have had the conversation with someone where they named something for you before you could see it. They named something about your life, or they called you to higher ground, and they said, you know what, you're down here, I think you can be up here. That's exactly what the two coaches did at the beginning of our sermon today. That's exactly what a woman named Dorothy said to me when I was 20 years old, and I was on a mission trip, and I gave a talk, and she said, when are you going to go to seminary? And I'd said a not nice thing to her because I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear it. But she named something for me that I couldn't see yet. We've had that happen, haven't we? Someone had to name something for you before you could see it that helped bridge that gap. And what a gift that was. But in the moment, it didn't feel like a gift. But Mary shows us how to receive these wonderful gifts. And at Christmas, we do need to receive that. We need to receive the reality that God has given to us. We need to be able to ask our God to lead us into what he wants. And this is where our weaknesses come back into play, and this is how we'll close. Our weaknesses become our places of receptivity. where We can receive his grace for ourselves and for others. And I want to challenge us to think that especially when our weaknesses are glaringly obvious, like if you work with someone that you avoid now because they saw you fail catastrophically, what if you went back and tried to bridge that relationship? What if you learned from that failure? What if you swung the door wide for God's grace to come into your life? What if someone in your life has been knocking on the door to search your heart? to ask you some hard questions about yourself, about your character, and you just keep saying, I don't have time. I can't do that. I can't take that call right now. What if you did? What if we confessed those places where we really feel that gap and it's so hard to go from what we thought our life was going to be like or what we thought Christmas was going to be like and what it's becoming powerfully through God's grace? What if we ask God to stand in that gap for us? The promise is that that is real life. And the promise is given to us in this same chapter of Romans. Romans 8, 6. I'll read this for us. This is what happens when we live by the Spirit. Paul writes, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That word life is zoe, the Greek word for life abundant, life overflowing, life that cannot be contained. Friends, it's the receptivity that God is calling us to through our weaknesses that allows us to enter into that kind of life. Uh, on Friday, I took my kids Christmas shopping. This was kind of fun. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom would take me and my two brothers and my sister, and we would go to this magical place called World Market. There's one in Redmond. And it's a great place to try to find like, fun little trinkets and Christmas gifts. And so what my mom used to do with us is she would give us all a little bit of money and say, here's the money you can spend on your brothers and your sisters. You can get them a gift. And so we'd go off and go do that, and it was was cool. It was a way to kind of step into, like, oh, Christmas isn't just about me giving gifts. Well, I had this plan. (laughs) I was going to take my kids to World Market. I've told some of you about this already. And we actually watched a Sesame Street video about money before we went there. Like, I thought that would be a cool way to kind of prime the pump. And we get to World Market, and it's going pretty good, because I started them off with, like, let's go shopping for mommy. Let's find some cool things to get for mommy. So they were all over that. And I'm with my son, who's five, and my daughter, who's three. And then we try to buy gifts for each other. I tell my son, you're going to pick out a gift for your sister. I tell my daughter, you're going to pick out a gift for your brother. That's when the wheels fell off. (laughs) That concept was not going to work. There was screaming and yelling, not by me, by them. Although I have screamed and yelled in stores before, I'm sure. And here's what happened in that moment of weakness. It felt like weakness for me as a parent, right? Oh, man, maybe I should have seen this coming. Maybe I could have done something here. It it could have made me feel like I didn't make Christmas happen like I wanted to for my kids. It could have been a place where I went. I had this idea, I had this concept, and it fell apart, and shame on me. And it would have ruined that whole moment with my children. And by God's grace, the gospel message that came into my heart in that moment was, I'm so glad that my worthiness is in Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that he builds up these moments and says, yeah, well, you tried. And your kids maybe learned a little bit, and who cares? And you try it again next year. If anybody wants to come to World Market with me in 2018, come on in. The cross is a place of devastating weakness, and yet it is a place of the greatest victory of the, greatest, the great high God. And as Frederick Buechner wrote, it is the place where the greatest sorrow is turned into the greatest beauty. And my moment with my kids wasn't my greatest sorrow, not by any means. But it made me think of all of us who are parenting, all of us who are in this stage in life, where it is so tempting to put the expectations so high up there for Christmas or for the experiences we want our kids to have, And if it falls apart, it can be devastating. But it doesn't have to be. Because our weaknesses are opportunities for us to receive the grace of God. And by God's grace, I got to hear the message of the gospel through that and share it with you guys this morning. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Praise God for that failure. Even though it wasn't really a failure. Praise God for that moment of weakness. May we be able to go forth from this day and step into the work of the Holy Spirit, whether we've got it with kids, with coworkers, wherever we're called, and may we see the receptivity that God wants for us in our weaknesses. If you agree, if you want to see that happen in your life, can you just join me in saying amen, amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you are real and that you don't take us through experiences for naught. You take us into these places where we learn and where we grow. And we never could have imagined what you wanted us to do. We never could have imagined how you want to teach us and shape us. And as we think about our weaknesses, as we think about places where we've struggled, where we've experienced pain, would you take even the weight of that now and turn it into a place where we can see your grace breaking into our lives, where hope breaks through, where we joyously anticipate the good that you're about to do in each of us. And Lord, I know there are many that uh, we're connected to and maybe uh, many in this room now who are wondering how that's possible. How could Jesus take my weaknesses and turn them into places of receptivity? God, for those friends who, who don't yet know you or who are struggling to see how this could be a way that you redeem us, would you just make that clear and make that real through the Holy Spirit? Would you help those of us who do know Jesus Christ to humbly and graciously share how he has done that in our lives? And may we be able to tell stories and share in the power of your resurrection throughout this Christmas season and always. We pray all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.